welcome to Unyielded, thriving no matter what. In a world of constant change and challenges, it can seem hard to keep up, no matter how hard we run. Yet we all know those people who seem to handle everything with grace and grit. Seemingly, nothing throws them off their game. They are engaged in what matters most to them, they are achieving the success they desire. In other words, they are creating the life they love to live, no matter what challenges and surprises show up. We call them Unyielded. My name is Bobby Kaler and I'm your host, and I'm so excited to be on this journey with you. I mentioned that it's a journey, and you might find yourself anywhere along that path. You may be starting out, you may be mid-career, or considering your next career. You could be an entrepreneur, a salesperson, or you may be that person who just feels like something else is calling to you, and it's time for a change. My mission is to provide stories that inspire us, so that when a surprise shows up and threatens to derail us, we will choose to persist. I will also provide practical skills, perspectives, and ideas that will help us create the habits of thriving and flourishing. Because at the end of the day, it is all about providing hope, knowledge, and assurance that we can all be more fulfilled and successful if we choose. Let's get right to today's episode. My guest today is a certified social and emotional intelligence and leadership coach. She went from being a homeless teenager to being a top executive coach and successful entrepreneur. In talking with her, you can tell that her passion is using her knowledge to help others achieve their true potential. Her energy is infectious, and she is not just a survivor. She chose to thrive from an early age in the face of incredible odds. Her name is Lenore Dianzeri, and I cannot wait for you to meet her. Lenore, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's really an honor to be here with you. Oh, man. I have been so looking forward to this podcast, to this conversation. And I, I obviously have listened to your podcast and, and your story, but can you give our listeners just a little bit of insight into your story? Sure. So my story began at a very young age like all of us. Right. But my story began, I, you know, I, I was born into a, a, a family of young parents, very young parents. My mom was 19. And then the next day I was born and she turned 20. Wow. So, yeah. So my mom was a, you know, a mere 20 year old and they had a very tumultuous relationship. I'm convinced that my dad had some mental issues and my mom was, you know, she did the best that she possibly could dealing in an environment like that. So the story goes that as early as six months old, my dad was abusing me at minimum physically. Yeah. So one of the stories that my grandmother told me was, you know, she had walked into my house and the music was blasting loud. And she walked in and saw that my playpen crib, whatever it was, was flush up against the speakers. And she said to my dad, what are you doing? You know, she's six months old. She's an infant. Like she's going to go deaf. And my father said, mind your business. And my grandmother started to fight with him. And by the way, my grandmother was probably 4'11". My father was 6'4". <laughs> so she started, you know, obviously that, that, that maternal instinct kicks in. And my yeah. grandmother started to, to argue with him. And apparently he picked me up and went to throw me across the room. You know, obviously I don't remember that early on, but I know that I was taken out of that home and lived with my grandparents for a while, which was really good. And then, you know, around three or four years old, I went back to my, my mom and dad who had a very tumultuous again relationship, but my mom got pregnant again. Wow. And so once my sister was born, I went back. The abuse was physical, sexual, emotional, mental. It was very bad. I mean, I, I remember to this day being, you know, having to stand in the middle of a room in the middle of the night because I had the whooping cough and I wasn't allowed to cough. And, you know, was, you know, I remember that it's so vivid in my head. 
And my nickname from my dad was your little dummy. So he used to tell me, stop coughing, you little dummy, stop coughing, you little dummy. But the good news was that I refused to believe that I was a dummy. Yeah. And I said, and I remember this clearly at three years old in my head, I I was like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm no dummy. Mm -hmm. You know, I, and I wasn't because I found ways to, you know, protect myself. I had hiding spots from him because he was really very violent. He was also an alcoholic, by the way. So he was a pedophile. He was an alcoholic. He was an abuser. And so I used to hide when I would hear him coming as best I possibly could. I used to hide in the closet or under the beds. I would just stay out of his vision. And the interesting thing was, is that he never really abused my little sister. It was just me. Mm -hmm. It happens a lot. Yeah. And, and, and so there is, so I'm going to kind of like fast forward and then go back. So he had two other children who were about 20, 30 years younger than me. And the older one resembled me with regard to coloring and her height. And the younger one resembled my younger sister with the coloring and the height. And the older one got abused and the younger one didn't. That's yeah. So I don't know what to say. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it was really quite insane. So anyway, you know, finally my dad left the house and, you know, I hardly ever saw him again, which was fine by me. But, you know, the relationship with my mom had become very tumultuous as well. I was sort of like the head of the household at seven years old. Yeah. I used to drop my sister off at school, pick my sister up at school. I used to take care of my sister, the cleaning, the cooking. And when I think about it now today, I couldn't even imagine a seven-year-old doing these things, right? And because my mom had so much stress, she was doing the best she could, but she also was abusive in her own way. Mm -hmm. And I was very resentful because like she expected me to be the adult, but when it was convenient for her or under certain circumstances, she expected me to be a child. So I was so confused. I didn't know what to do. (laughs) And it could change, right? Day to day, minute to minute. At the drop of a hat, like, you know, it depended on my mom's mood. It depended on her day at work. It depended on her love life. I mean, there were so many variables going on. And there was also, I'm sure, although it's not been discussed, you know, some guilt that was lying within her. Mm -hmm. And then there was the resentment. So her favorite, one of her favorite lines to me was, you're just like your father. Oh, Now, knowing how abusive my dad was, knowing the sexual abuse that went on, knowing how he was as a person, that kind of, not kind of, that made me feel like crap. Yeah. And it was I'm, intended to maybe. Yeah, perhaps. But I'm not oh. that person. And I, no. and again, I was born with this thing, like this survivor inside of me that said, no, I'm not, I am not that person. And no matter how much you tell that to me, I do not believe you. Yep. And that kind of kept me going. So I worked at an early age. I started working at 12 years old and I went to school and I, again, I took care of the, you know, the house and whatever I had to do. We were, I wanted to work as a team in our family because it was just me, my mom and my sister. And so I went to work. I used to work in this card store. And when my mom and I would argue throughout the years, the threat would be, I'm going to throw you out. I'm going to put you in an orphanage. You're no good. You are not going to live in my house anymore. And I heard this time after time again. And my go-to was I would run out of the house and my grandparents lived up the block and I would run to my grandma and my grandma used to sit me down, let me cry. She would call my mom and say, Marion, let her back in, let her back in. And so I would go home and then the whole thing would start over again until one night I went to work. I was 15 years old and I worked in a card store. And I used to walk, uh, it was about a 20, 25 minute walk from my house. And I would have to pass my grandparents' house to go and then go on my way. That afternoon, this one particular afternoon, I had opened a letter that was sent to my mom. And it, although I don't want to share what it was, it upset me to the core Mm -hmm. and I was a mess. 
And my sister was very, had a different relationship with my mom. They were more bonded. There was a codependency there for sure. But at the end of the day, I took out this news that I had received on my sister because she was very antagonistic and we got into this huge physical altercation. And so I left to go to work and just before I was about to close the store, my mom called and said, you're out, your bags are downstairs. Do not come back in my house or you're not going to live to see the next day. And you were 15. I was 15. So I walked home and had a lot of time to think. And I was exhausted, Bobby. I mean, I I went through so much at 15. I was confused. I was resentful. I was confident in myself. I was disappointed because I was so good. And so I was so smart and I wanted to be a lawyer. And during my journey home that night, those 25 minutes, I thought about all these things. And I thought about how many times I was threatened to be thrown out in the street or how many times I was hit when I got home or how many times I was, you know, verbally abused. And I made a decision. I wasn't taking it anymore. Yeah. Not that I didn't make that decision before, mind you. However, this time I I got to the house and it seemed like it was going in slow motion. And there were three steps that led up to my my door. And one step at a time, my heart started going faster and faster and faster. Mm. I put my hand on the doorknob. I turned the doorknob and sure as heck, there was my life sitting in front of me, my suitcase. And I took the suitcase and as I did in the past, and I walked down the stairs very slowly and I looked to the right, I, I was about to go to grandma's house. And then I said, no, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. If I don't leave now, I don't know what I'll do because I'm not going to lie. I had suicidal thoughts during my younger years. And, you know, this was like it, I had enough. And I knew I was capable because, you know, back then, you know, I I was making minimum wage, but I thought I was rich because I had money in my pocket (laughs) and I knew I'd be able to get a job. So I was confident and I made the left this time and I walked into my neighborhood and there was a park that I used to go to with my friends, me and my little suitcase, my life's belongings. And I found a corner and I slept there. Um, That happened for many nights in different locations because I didn't want my friends to know initially. Oh, yeah. I didn't want anybody to know. And my friends and their families all knew my home situation. My friends had witnessed it on numerous occasions. So a couple of them snuck me into their house when I finally did fess up to what the truth was, where I was at in my life. But then when their parents saw me, they wanted to call my mom. So those little comfortable beds were far and few between. So I had to leave and I just didn't know what to do with myself. So finally I couldn't work anymore. It it was just too much. And I had some people that I knew that lived up in Woodstock, New York, and I hopped on a bus and I went up there and I got myself a little job in a store and they offered for me to stay with them and help them with their children while they went to work. So I, I had a roof over my head. I had an income. And then one night, and I was so close to the kids. I love the kids, by the way, I have to put that in there. But, and then one night I was sleeping in my room and the husband came in and I, not that I put up a fight because now looking back, I realized that, you know, sexual things, it's my, it was my fault at that time. And so he was, he was like 30 and I will use the R word now. I didn't back then, but he raped me. You were and 15. I was 15. I was 15. I thought I was having consensual sex, but what did I know? And not that I would even do that, you know? So like, I kind of put that guilt on myself, Mm -hmm. but the next morning I picked up my bag and I left. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell the job. I had money in my pocket. So I was able to get back to New York. Well, I had no way to go. (laughs) I had no way to go. And I was just determined not to go back to the house. And by the way, I have never been back to the house. I've slept at my mom's house a couple of times since as an adult, but far and few between, but that's another part to the story. Anyway, I wound up in the Port Authority station in New York at the bus and I didn't know what to do. So I I noticed there were like a bunch of homeless people in there and I decided to join the group. And so I found myself a spot 
sat down, held my stuff, you know, because I was so fearful. Everybody looked, you know, they were drunks, they were drug addicts, they were back, you know, that was back in the 70s. And there was, it was filthy. Yeah. But I was protected from the elements. So I decided that it was a good place to be. And I spent a night or two there. It was actually two or three nights there. Can't remember specifically, but one morning I woke up and in my head overnight, I was thinking, how do these people live? Like, how do they eat? How do they shower? And I was trying to figure out my new homeless life. Then one morning I woke up and I see a couple of kids. They had to be around my age panhandling. I said, Oh, that's a great idea. Right. And as I'm sitting there, I'm watching these people with suits go by and I was admiring them, how great they were. started feeling a little bad for myself saying, Oh my God, I wanted to be a lawyer. That's never going to happen. And so I said, Oh, you know what? I got to eat. So I got up and I positioned myself in the pool of all these people. If anybody knows New York city port authority, it's like a, it's like a zoo. And I stood there and I put my hand out. I feel like I'm going to cry. And somebody put a quarter in my hand. And I looked at the quarter and I'm like, I am not doing this. This is not who I am. I'm going to be one of those suits walking around. I knew that I had to call someone at this point. So I called my best friend and I, you know, I had to go to pay phone. And so I, it was only a dime and I had to get change of the quarter. So I called my friend and she's like, where are you? Come here. But I was nervous because it was on the same block. Like she lived in the middle between my mom's and my grandmother's house. So I got on the subway and I got off the subway and I very carefully, I was like a criminal, right? I was looking around, I was looking over my shoulder and I walked into her house and she was so happy to see me and gave me hugs. And, and I begged her, I said, please, whatever you do, don't tell your mom I'm here. I, I cannot go back there. I don't want anything. So she didn't, but she had this other girl sitting at her, at her kitchen table. And the girl and I started chatting, come to realize that we are actually second cousins. She was my mother's cousin, but she was my age. So we start chatting and winds up, she's, she's Buddhist and she wants, you know, she sneaks me into her house is what happened. And so I stayed with her in her basement for a few days, but she, she started telling me, you know, I'm, I'm Buddhist and I, and I do this chant and you could start doing this chant. And if you do this chant, you're going to get whatever you want and all this kind of stuff. So I said, wow, that sounds really cool. So now I start this <laughs> chanting stuff. Right. And she takes me, you know, that she's feeding me. I have a place to shower. So now I have a roof over my head at least until I get caught. But before I get caught, she brings me to one of these Buddhist meetings. And I mean, it, the people were so loving and kind. And she introduces me to the group leader. His name was Mr. Kurita, Japanese man. And he couldn't have been any sweeter. And he asked me my story. It's almost like he felt it. And I told him my story. And he went out of his way to help me to get a job an apartment and a roommate in Manhattan. Uh, let me just say he and his wife. <laughs> now at this point, I'm 16. I'm not supposed to be working, but I was able to, you know, back then I'd lied about my age. I was a survivor. I had to do what I had to do. Right. So I had to lie about my age. I got a job in this Japanese printing firm and they told me I was the worst receptionist <laughs> they've ever had, but they liked my personality, maybe. I don't know. They So they kept me on and I was able to make enough money to, to live, to put a roof over my head and to survive and yeah. to eat. So that was the beginning of my true adulthood. And shortly after that, what in the company that I worked for, there was this young man. He was cute. He was a Japanese guy. And we started dating. And as time went on, so I worked at this job and I lived in this apartment for a year. And the guy had his visa was up and he was going to go back to Japan. And I made a decision to go back to Japan to, with him. Wow. So it, I was, um, I had to contact my mom and say, listen, I, I need a passport. I am getting married. You need to sign these papers. And she did. She did. Yeah, she did. Wow. 
Well, I mean, if you think about it, I was now, whether, even though I wasn't living there now, I was legally not a burden anymore is how I'm looking at it. Because if my 17 year old came to me and said she was getting married, <laughs> I don't know. I would have had, a, I would have sat down and said, listen, babe, let's have a little chat, you know? <laughs> um, so anyway, she did sign the papers. I went to school. I signed myself out of school, which was one of the biggest heartbreaking things that I experienced because I wanted to go to school. Yeah. I wanted to go to school. I wanted to go to college. I wanted to be that suit that was walking around in the Port Authority station. That's the vision I had for myself. And when I went up to school, the guidance counselor who also knew my background and my struggles at home said to me, oh my goodness, I'm so happy to see you. We all wondered where you were. The truant officer, I don't even know if they have those anymore, but the truant officer was at your house a few times. We were all very concerned about you, Lenore. And I said, well, thank you. You know, I appreciate that. I said, but here's the deal. I said, I, and I told him the story and he goes, you know, typically I try to talk young people like you out of doing something like this. Hmm. We try to make sure that you stay in school, at least through high school. He goes, but you know what? I'm not worried about you. You're going to make something of yourself one day. Hmm. And I decided that I was never going to let those words go at that moment. Yeah. I made that decision. And I said, you know what? In my head, he's right. But got on a plane and went to Japan. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) So I got on a plane and went to Japan. I learned the language. If If a Japanese person is on the phone with me and they're speaking to me, they don't know I'm American. So I was... Fluent in Japanese by my third month, I started teaching English, which eventually developed into an English school. I was doing fashion modeling. I then, as time went on, because I was there almost six years, I actually was a co-host on a comedy show. Oh, man. So I really grew up in Japan. Mm -hmm. It was, I didn't have that schooling that I had so wanted but at least I had this education and I made a commitment to myself that I was going to continue on this upward trajectory. And I was going to educate myself because if I could learn Japanese by myself, remember there was no, I translate then there was no iPhone. (laughs) It was me and my best friend, the dictionary. So, and then, you know, I, I said, if I could do this, And come out of what I came through and be here and making so much money and having a network of friends, I can do anything. That's right. This will always be the time that I look back on in the future to help me through anything that I have. Mm -hmm. And that's the first part of my story. (laughs) And there's so much in there. One of the things too, when I listened to your monologue for your podcast you said you made the decision, you chose to thrive. I chose to thrive. Yeah. And, and I love that. Something that as you're telling the story now, uh, that just is hitting me is you received so many, you know, messages like you're a dummy or, you know, you're just like your father or whatever it was. And you rejected those messages. You know, you're like, no, I'm not. And then when was it the principal who said to you, you're going to make something of yourself? The counselor. The counselor. Yeah. So you chose who you were going to listen to, right? Absolutely. Was that was that on a conscious level, do you think? Yes. I know so. And I'll tell you why. I was not, I didn't look at, you know, sometimes when, you know, kids are abused and abused kids, they look at their parents with anyway with awe and they love them and they think that that's normal and whatever. Certain things I didn't recognize were abnormal until I got into my adulthood. However, I was very aware that the behaviors that I was witnessing were not normal. And, And I was aware that from a human standpoint, that you do not call people names. You do not punch people in the face. You do not pull pull people down to the ground by their hair. You do not treat children that way. There was some guiding light. I always say I have not had, but I have an angel that looked over me, even as a child to help me to know where to hide, who to listen to, who not to listen to. Mm -hmm. And I chose not to listen to my dad or my mother 
about the person I am because I was also aware that they had no clue who I was. Yeah, that is a great point, right? They had no clue who I was. Yeah. And so why accept their their feedback? Right. (laughs) If you don't know who I am, then your feedback is completely meaningless. It's irrelevant. Yeah. You know, Lenore, there's so many similarities. I mean, I didn't go through the sexual abuse. There was, you know, I loved my mom dearly. And and she had some really bad days where there was a lot of violence and the name calling and that type of thing. And I remember I was in my 20s and I was reading how often when kids go through that, they internalize it and they think I'm bad and, and everything. And I thought that didn't, I never thought I was bad because to me it was, I'm not the one beating a kid, <laughs> you know, I'm not the one with the problem. Right. And, and it was, it was, I don't know if that's a defense mechanism. I don't know what that was, but, but I think it helped, you know, like I don't deserve this. I deserve to be treated with love and with respect. And yeah. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I, I know. think, you know, I think now there's a term, the imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I, I, sometimes I, you know, when I reflect, I say, well, was I like going through an imposter syndrome? (laughs) But, you know, listen, I had my days, like I said, I mean, you know, some days it was so unbearable that I wanted to kill myself. I I cut before it was popular. And I did that. I know exactly why I did that. I did that because the physical pain helped to take away a lot of the emotional pain. Remember, I wanted my mom to love me so bad. That's right. I wanted my mom to love me. I wanted my mom to know who I am, you know, and I, I, I hold zero hard feelings towards my mom. I, I understand that my mom and my dad must've gone through something in their lives that brought them to this place. And the forgiveness is what set me free. I wish that I would have had people to help me do that sooner. That's if I had to have one regret, that would be it. And I always encourage people who have been through what I've been through at a younger age, please do the best you can to try to forgive your aggressors mm-hmm. because that sets you free. Otherwise it consumes you. Yeah. I mean, completely. Yeah. With that in mind, were there steps that you took to go through that process of forgiveness? Yeah, there were. Um, first and foremost, um, admittedly, I, as, as, as I became a young mother as well, uh, not knowing, I mean, really knowing, but I was a single mom. Um, my daughter was my full responsibility. My husband and at that time, my husband and I broke up. Um, I had no financial support. I didn't have any financial support from my mom. This is a whole nother story, but I had no, you know, I had no family really to count on, uh, to help me through. And I started getting that same anger and resentment. And so admittedly, and I hope I don't cry now, but my first response in showing my daughter the way when she was out of line was to raise my hands. Yeah. Till this day, it hurts my heart. And I have hugged her and cried with her many times. It didn't last long, but it took me that to start taking steps to heal. And she, when I started that journey, she was about five. Hmm. Now I didn't give her what my mom gave me, but I don't condone my behavior at all. I had to learn another way, but it took me one day to realize, wait a minute, I'm doing the same thing. Yeah. How do I pull myself out of this? So my first thing was therapy. Um, I started going to therapy initially to stop repeating the behaviors that I was repeating. Um, I then understood that I needed to face a lot of the demons that I hadn't faced before, because remember I was an adult at seven. That's right. I was never able to internalize and feel the pain. And interestingly enough, right, I'm a social and emotional intelligence coach, but whenever (laughs) I would cry or whenever I would express pain or anger or anything, it's like, you're crying. I'm going to give you a good reason to cry. Oh my God. How many times did I hear that? (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Or, you know, you, you know, you're being bad. You're just bad. You're just bad. Bam. I'd get hit. I had to, I, I didn't have time to internalize this stuff because I was so busy protecting myself, Bobby. Yeah. Physically and emotionally and protecting my sister and cooking and cleaning that 
I didn't have time to do it then. So now I'm in my twenties and I, the therapist is helping me to go back to these very painful places and identify the feelings that I was having. Mm -hmm. And also that my first therapist guided me towards helping to relieve some of the stresses of single motherhood uh, that I was experiencing at the time. So therapy was my first step. Yeah. It's an important step when you go through something like that, you know, so the, the choosing to thrive, yeah, right. Because that is clearly what you've done. I mean, you've gone on, like you said, you're a social and emotional intelligence coach and, and so you're helping lots of people. So when you think about choosing to thrive, yes. What do you think goes into that? Um, there's, so I wanted a better life. It was hope. Number one, you know, it was hope. I had to come to the realization that no, I would never be a lawyer. I would not, I had to make money. I had to put a roof over mine and my daughter's head. I had to feed my daughter. So I decided that no, I was not going to be a lawyer. I didn't want to, or have the support system to do that. So I decided that I would do other things and I would learn how to create the life that I have now. Mm -hmm. And I, I taught, I'm self-taught in everything I've done for the most part, but I also have to say that I've had amazing mentors along the way that gave themselves to me fully and taught me things that I might have never known. And then I've worked for some amazing corporations that had great training programs. Mm. So in order for me to thrive, I had to complete those steps of learning outside of the college, outside of the institution of education and teach myself everything so that I can once again, have the life I have now. Right. Right. And I wanted to be a good role model for my daughter. Mm. And now my daughters, you know, to show them that no matter what adversity you face in your life, you have to love yourself enough to want to thrive. I love that. I'm making a note. Okay, good. (laughs) Because you said you have to love yourself enough to want to thrive. That's right. Yeah. Because if you don't have self-love, you don't care what happens to yourself. That is exactly right. You know, and I've you know, sometimes I've been told that I'm selfish because I've made comments even to my children during those rough years, you know, the teenage girl years where I wanted to pull my hair out of my head. And I, (laughs) and I've told them, listen, I love you so much, but I love me more. And if I don't love me more, you're not going to have me around. Mm -hmm. So you have to love yourself enough. Yeah. Cause there, there are choices that, that you have to make, right? I mean, we're making choices all the time, whether or not we're aware of those or whether or not we're being intentional, but we're making choices all the time and and what guides us. Yeah. Was it hard for you to give up the dream of becoming an attorney? For a while. Okay. So the, the, the Buddhist philosophy talked a lot about surrender Mm, and a lot of people think that surrender is a bad word, but it, a lot of times it's not. Sometimes you just have to surrender to what is and then take that ball of what is and run with it and make it great. And I had that to kind of alleviate that pain. Mm -hmm. However, you know, I had so much going on in my, my life of, I mean, there were times I had to work three jobs to, you know, support my daughter one job paid for her childcare. And then the other one was any little extras. I mean, there were times we couldn't eat. So I was so busy with all of these things going through my head, healing myself, loving myself, loving my child, supporting my child, living life, job, that for a while I put my own emotions on the back burner. Yeah, understandably. So I didn't feel the pain of that. And even though I knew that I would not be a lawyer, I knew that I would be successful. Mm. 
So your view changed. It was like, because maybe the whole view was, I wanted to be one of those suits. I wanted to be successful. Yes. Okay. All yeah, right. That's, that's a great way to look at it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So when you say surrender, is yeah. that, is that similar to like acceptance or is it different? I want to know more. I think that it's a very close, but so acceptance, sometimes you just say, you know, when people accept things for the way they are, they could just be like stuck. Sometimes mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that acceptance is just being stuck, right? Oh God, right. you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm an abused person by my spouse and I can't leave because I have no money. So I'll just give up and get abused. Right. Right. Yes. Surrender is more of understanding in the here and in the now, in the here and in the now that this is what is, but this does not mean that it cannot change. So let me surrender to my surroundings right now. Let me then know that these, this situation is just now it's not tomorrow. It's not next year. And it gives me peace so that I can clearly move forward mentally to accept the next journey. Yeah. Great distinction, right? Because it's not about, oh, this is, you know, it's not about accepting it and staying stuck. Right. And I love how you said it It doesn't mean that it can't change. I I always think this way. And this is what I coach people to wherever you are right now, it's just a snapshot in time. Yeah. Does not determine what happens next. You know, I remember when um, the day back when I was sick in 2003, a doctor, he's like, my husband, Rick was my boyfriend at the time, but the doctor said to both of us, he's like, you know, based on, based on your, your, your condition and what we know about it, only about 3% of the people will experience a full recovery. And, 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 you know, my first response was, okay, so when do I get to go for a run again? Cause I, I love that by the way, I thought run. that was awesome. He's <laughs> like, no. And he's like, I don't think you're listening. So I remember when Rick and I went home, we were sitting in our living room and Rick said to me, he's like, boy, it's, it's really not fair. And I remember saying, doesn't matter if it's fair, if it's not fair, it doesn't matter. This is where I am now and what's next. Right. Because I did not believe that meant I was stuck there. And I, I, I don't, that's, it's, it's a very interesting and I think powerful distinction between the two. I love the word surrender, but you're right. I think a lot of times people do have a, a negative connotation of it. Yeah. You yeah. Know? It's like, oh, you're weak. You surrender. Am I really? Mm-mm. Or am I accepting not accept? I I really or am I just like living this moment? And and you know because of my so you know for forty five years or forty four years I paid attention to my to my daughters, so I definitely didn't pay as much attention to myself as I should have. But there were a lot of components that didn't allow me to do that. But I knew I would. But so I did a lot of self help as well and. One of the books that, you know, that combined with my, with my Buddhist knowledge, right? So I continued that Buddhist path for a while, by the way. So I, I started listening to Eckhart Tolle mm. with the power of now. I read that book and it resonated so deeply with me because I had to live the majority of my life in the now. Yeah. I, I couldn't reflect on, oh. You know, <laughs> yesterday was great or, oh my gosh, maybe tomorrow my fairy godmother is going to come and help me out. I had to live in the moment, mm-hmm. but I never understood the power that that actually gave me until I read that book. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is a, it is a powerful thing. You know, when you were talking about surrendering there, I just had this flash back to when I was a kid we grew up on a river and it was a big river and it had a really wicked undertow uh, or a current, whatever. And my dad was always petrified that we'd get, you know, fall in or we'd get caught in the current or the, the tow, whatever. And he'd always say, don't fight the current. Mm. You surrender to the current and then you gently go your direction. And he taught us how to do that, like how to swim out of it. But he's like, if you fight it, it will take you under and you won't come up. And that little... That's what popped into my head. It was, it was like so clear. I got you know? the chills. That's so weird. I mean, I, I honestly, like I have goosebumps all over me right now. Yeah. I, you know what? That's such a great analogy for surrender. I love it. It sounds like your dad's like almost a Buddha. <laughs> <laughs> he would never say that. He's going to be 88 on Wednesday. And he's so, 
Oh my goodness. I get to go see him. I'm so excited, but he's just one of those like very like down to earth, you know, comes up with this wisdom sometimes that you're like, where did that come from? Yeah. You know, we all have it. We do. We don't all tune into it. No, but clearly your dad tunes into it at the most important times. Yeah. I'm happy for you. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. This is great. So what do you think, because you've worked with a lot of people, what do you think gets in the, in the way for people if they're trying to, you know, really thrive or, you know, what gets in the way? There's a couple of things that I've noticed. Number one is ego. By ego, I mean, not allowing, again, you know, not allowing, not allowing yourself to understand what's going on in your life and having a whole nother picture. And sometimes you just have to surrender to that picture might not have been the best picture for you. And at this moment, it's time to make a change. And then, uh, you know, the other egos that are much more apparent to most people, they, they combat themselves. I think that people don't value themselves enough to live a fulfilling life. Loving yourself to a lot of people seems either A, they call it hokey, or B, that's selfish, or C, that's conceited, whatever it is. But you got to know your core values and you got to know what your worth is and how you impact not only yourself, but other people's lives. Yeah. People aren't going to remember, you know, it, it's funny. I, I bought my house a couple of years ago and everybody's like, oh, you know, what are you buying a house for? You're taking out a mortgage. What I said, what do you think? People are going to look in my coffin when I'm dead and say, oh, the poor thing, she had a mortgage. <laughs> no, they're not going to say that. You know, they're going to say she was a compassionate, loving woman that was true to herself, understood her place and always strive to be better and contribute to community. That's it. Then I believe that people take on way too much without giving themselves the gift of self-exploration, clearing your head, having alone time. How many people are afraid of being alone with themselves? A huge amount. Huge. (laughs) My goodness, my best thoughts come when I'm by myself. Yeah. I clear my mind. I, I have a meditation practice. So without my meditation, I, on those, on those few times that I don't do a meditation, my mind is going, my head is filled with stuff. Therefore I cannot see the rest clearly. Yes. You know, if you have an open door with one foot in the door and you can't open it anymore, it's difficult for anything else to come in. So you got to make that way for yourself and listen to your, I call it your higher power. Listen to that beautiful person that you are and move from there. And you're so right. We, we fill up our days so that we can't even hear that voice, that power. And what a disservice Mm -hmm. that we do to ourselves with that, because, you know, I am the most amazing person I know. You are the most amazing person, you know, and then we can recognize those qualities in others. Mm, what a powerful place to operate from versus, you know, so-and-so is better. And, and then we're, we're envious or, you know, whatever that is, that's a remarkably powerful place to operate from what you just described. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's, Again, I have my moments, but for the most part, I do operate there. It's almost the same as loving yourself more than you can love anybody else. If I don't know what love is, how can I love back? That's right. If I don't know what amazing qualities are in a person, and if I don't live those qualities, I won't attract those qualities in other people. No. And I won't be able to share what I have if solicited these qualities that have made my life after I began to awaken as it is Mm -hmm. calm, peaceful, loving. Yeah. And I also think what powerful role modeling for your daughters and those around you when we do love ourselves and we can, you know, we know what's important. We know who we are versus I hope someone else can figure it out and let me know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and trust me, that's not to say that I am not open to someone saying to me, you know, Lenore, what you just said is a little off. Yeah. 
I'm not, or Lenore, you know, maybe if you try to do this another way, maybe it would make you easier. I'm totally open to that. I, I, again, and that goes back to ego, right? I refuse to succumb to ego because I've done that in the past and I didn't benefit from not listening. Yeah. Because of my ego. I know better. You never experienced what I knew. I know better. No. Mm -mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when, when, when our minds are closed to learning, it's really tough. Very. Yeah. Okay. So I wanted to shift gears a little bit. Sure. Tell us a little bit, cause I know what you do, you know, but tell us what you do and, and how you work with people there. Cause I, I think a lot of people would be very interested in that. Yeah. So I am a certified social and emotional intelligence and leadership coach. So since the pandemic came. That's a whole nother story, but I focused on the travel and transportation industry, hospitality, and I would work with people to develop their leadership skills. I did do some consulting with regard to operational stuff within business. I help businesses grow, but now I'm more dedicated to helping people grow. I haven't gone into that individual space yet. Although a lot of my pro bono work, I worked with a lot of young children Wow. That even though at that point, I didn't really know what emotional intelligence learning was, but I was helping young children. I was a big sister. I went into the New York City public schools and I talked to young children about, you know, you know, furthering their career. But I, I right now I focus mostly with leadership because leadership development. It's interesting because I had a conversation earlier today, no matter whether you're an individual contributor or whether you hold a CEO title, you are a leader. Mm -hmm. And so developing leadership skills is what I help people do and mindful leadership. So what I mean by mindful leadership is, you know, developing those social and emotional intelligence skills so that you can communicate not only with your outside world, but with your inside world as well. Again, it goes back to knowing yourself, you know, who I am, what do I do? What, what's my life's purpose? How do I get there? How do I impact other people? What are people going to say about me when I'm in the coffin? You know, just, <laughs> I know that sounds kind of, it's just like the way I look at things. Sorry. But, you know, so I, I coach people along the way. And the other thing that I do is I, I put together mastermind groups, Ooh. which I love. I've had many of those during the past, since 2008, I've done, obviously last year, I didn't have any, but I would bring together like-minded individuals, executives management teams, depending upon what the group was focusing on and put a developmental group together that way. So we would talk about life. We would talk about uh, profession, personal stuff. Uh, we would learn to communicate better with each other and grow. Yeah, that's cool. And you were, are, were you certified through six seconds? I was not, but my partner that I do the, one of the podcasts with, she is actually a six seconds pop-up person. As a matter okay. of fact, Josh Friedman, who's the CEO was on one of my podcasts. Yeah. No, I'm certified from the, so the Institute of Social and Emotional Intelligence. Oh, nice. Okay. So yeah, I went through the certification at six seconds and I love Josh. Yeah. And actually my book, he was, he was my publisher. Wow. Yeah. And he was amazing. And I remember when I took my class, the instructor, Tom, he said, who I'm still in touch with something like to have empathy, you know, because Sometimes, you know, especially when you were talking about the leadership development, you know, if you're a leader and you don't have empathy, it's really kind of hard to lead. And the way to build empathy is to get to know yourself. Because if you don't, if you can't tune into yourself, guess what? You can't tune into other people. Oh, <laughs> word. That's all I can say. I got my hands up in the air. Hallelujah. That's it. <laughs> and I just, I, I did that. Oh my God. When it was my certification, I think it was back in 2008, 2009. And I that just still remember that. And it was like, it just hit me right between the eyes. Like that's so true. Yeah. 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 So, okay. You mentioned you have two podcasts. I do right? indeed. Yes. I have one that uh, solely focuses on social and emotional intelligence. As I said, Josh was one of our guests and That's I so do cool. that with another social and emotional intelligence coach. Her name is Paige and that podcast is called the weekly pause. And so I, we have, again, we have a lot of coaches, psychotherapists. We have people that uh, know about neuroscience and then just regular people that have gone through their own journeys of developing their social and emotional intelligence. So we have that. And then I have on my own, it's called uh, journeys of reinvention. 
And similar to your podcast, we we talk about people's reinventing themselves. Some of them are professional reinventions. Some of them may be, you know, stories that they want to share. Some of them, one, I did one recently with a woman who shared her internal reinvention. And I love that. So, you know, sharing these stories. And the reason why I started that one is I didn't start talking about my story until I was well into my forties. Mm-hmm. And when I did Someone once said to me, why did you hold this in for so long? Do you realize how many people you could be helping? Yeah. And that just put me on this trajectory. So that's what that's about. And my company is called Mindful Leadership Project. Nice. It's brand new. Um, I started, um, as a matter of fact, the website is still a work in progress, um, but I'm diversifying my vertical out of travel or not out of travel, but in addition to travel, going into other verticals to do some leadership training, uh, management coaching, et cetera. Yeah. Nice. You yeah. know, when you're talking about the reinvention. Yes. I, I agree with the person who gave you that feedback, you know, like, oh, you could be helping people. Do you think that there is sometimes when people tell me, oh, I made this change or whatever, there's almost a note of apology. Have you noticed that? Yeah, I have. But There are some people who are really certain and proud of what they've done. And then there are those that are still almost like an imposter syndrome kind of right. They're just like kind of unsure. Like it's, oh, I did this, but I'm not really sure if I did the best thing in the world, you know, but yeah, sometimes they are very apologetic. And I would encourage all of your listeners, don't do that. Be Mm -hmm. proud. Whether you, whether you have to take another direction once you you know, get to the point where, you know, you think you should have been, but then all of a sudden you got to make a change on a dime. Be proud of the fact that you stepped off that cliff and tried to do what you got to do. You're fearless. You're fearless. That's a perfect ending. I'll put those links in the, in the show notes. And is that the best way for people to reach you if they want to reach out? Okay. Lenore at mindfulleadershipproject.com. Perfect. And and I love that, you know, take the courage and that you're fearless. I love that. Lenore, thank you so much for joining. This has been awesome. Thanks, Bobby. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. I hope that you enjoyed getting to know Lenore and hearing her story as much as I did. And, and it's not just her story, but also the grace and the grit with which she tells it. Here are my three insights for thriving. Number one, surrendering to what is does not mean that we give up or that we accept our current condition as permanent. I like how she put it. She said it is, it is taking the ball of what is and running with it and creating from there. Insight number two, find hope. Think about what can you do today in the present moment that can lead you towards the life that you want. And three, I absolutely love the advice that she gave her daughter. No matter what adversity you face, you have to love yourself enough to want to thrive. And I think, believe that you're worthy of thriving because we all are. So thank you all so much for listening and for tuning in. It's exciting for me. I've been getting notes and messages from folks telling me how much they're, they're finding gems and nuggets in these stories that are truly helping them grow or helping them see things from a different perspective. And that is exactly why I started this podcast. And it is so rewarding. So thank you for those messages. Please keep them coming. They inspire me, especially because we're getting close to our first year in doing this. So thank you guys for the support. If you are one of those people who are finding value, please consider sharing it with a friend or a colleague or drop us a review so that we can reach even more people. I hope that you'll tune in next week when we explore more ways for us to thrive, grow, and flourish.